From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Project podcast. Welcome back to the channel. Today on episode 276, we're diving into life-changing habits, habits that completely shifted my overall life, shifted my anxiety, improved my focus, improved my sleep, improved my uh, memory, improved my uh, just overall strength of the body and the mind. And these shifted my identity from weak, uh, dependent person who is who is uncontrolled by these internal desires and motivations and anxiety to this person who feels in control, who feels like I am creating the narrative of my story. I'm not letting my internal negative self-talk dictate how I should live my life or my internal desires and whims because I used to live a very hedonic type lifestyle where I was sleeping in until 10, 11, going to bed late, um, doing whatever doing whatever I just f- deemed to be comfortable and fun and exciting. And so I, I adopted a mentor when I was really battling with anxiety. I unraveled what he did as a day-to-day practice to tame the dragon of that anxiety. And then I would adopt some of those habits because I knew that if I did the opposite of what I was doing, then maybe I could actually find results. It was like this, it was this life changing experiment, really. And so this podcast episode is actually inspired by a question I got from Samantha online. She sent me and asked me what I did on a day to day basis that really changed my life. And so thank you, Samantha, for for asking me that. And um, this is for you. And this is for everybody who's interested. And the first habit that I want to dive into, number five, is waking up early. This is something I never did before. I always found this admirable. I always looked up to my dad. He woke up at 5.30 to go to work every single day. He was up all the time early. And he was very dis- he is a very disciplined guy. He always was. And he was part of the reason why I I wanted to get up early. Also, other people in my family were getting up early. I always found them admirable because it was such a challenge for me. It was grueling. And we live in a culture, especially as I was entering my teenage years, where I noticed adults would always complain about not being a morning person, feeling a certain way when they wake up, unmotivated, just want to snuggle in bed. And I was that guy. I just wanted to stay in bed. And I I was that guy. I slept in. I didn't want to get out of bed. I was watching TV in bed, just living so damn comfortably. And so there was this spark that really motivated me to shift my wake time to get up early because of the fact that it was challenging. I wanted to do the opposite of what I have been doing because I didn't like myself. I was, I viewed myself as weak and 
I was a slave to anxiety. And then I read this interesting book by Matthew Walker. He's a sleep expert, and it's called Why We Sleep. Great book. But one of the takeaways I got from that book was he mentioned that keeping a consistent sleep and wake cycle actually regulates the body. It regulates its internal clock. And and when you don't get a good night's sleep, but you keep the wake time the same, you know, take a nap during the day, maybe 30 minute nap, but go to bed early the next day, but keep the wake time the same. It starts to regulate yourself. You actually fall asleep easier and you get better sleeps over time because the body knows that this is the period when Brad sleeps. That's it. So might as well make the best out of it. Sometimes you don't get, I don't get a good night's sleep, but I'll then get the good night's sleep the next night. So it always comes around and then more, and then it starts to regulate over time that the, there's more positive sleeps than negative sleeps in the long run. But how I approached waking up early was I, 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 I was getting up at 10, 11, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to start to get up at six. And you start to get up at six. And if you really want to get up earlier, you start to dim it back a little bit. You start maybe 15 minutes less the next week, 15 minutes less the next week. But, you know, at first, if you want to move, say, something from like 10 a.m. to 6 a.m., I'd say do that for a month. Try and get down start to regulate your body down to that cycle in a month and then start to cut back if you want to get, say, back down to 5.30. Now I'm down to 4.30, but which is great. I love 4.30. That's my, that's my time. That's what works for me. But to get to 4.30, I started from 6 and just over time cutting back, cutting back the time. And early mornings allows me to get my routine of meditation. It allows me to have that time to journal, do the, the cold plunge. And I value that first thing in the morning. I think it's the most important time of your day. I know that because it sets the trajectory of your day. You do the difficult things first and then all the other difficult things that maybe randomly pops up during the day won't seem as difficult because you got your stuff in you got your shit in in the morning and so the difficult things come first and then you can be at your best self for the rest of the day you can be there for your family you can be there for your coworkers. you can show up and say hey you know what i did things that are difficult and it's the battle against yourself it's not just to prove other people wrong or other people that you're better, obviously. It's more of the fact that you're doing self-care, that you're proving yourself wrong, that your mind says, no, I don't want to do this, but you actually get up anyways. And I've noticed that to be the case with cold showers too. You know, when I would get out of bed, there would be that voice saying, no, don't get up. And it generates excuses. And when you get up anyways, you bypass those excuses. When you jump into a cold shower, the mind goes, well, I don't want to go in here. But you bypass that voice that's telling you to take the path of least resistance. And you're just training your mind. You're, tr- you're training this reflexive voice that 
counters the comfort voice that wants you that wants to keep you in what's familiar, wants to keep you in comfort. And I find that it gets so much more done in the mornings as well. The days feel more rewarding because when I wake up later, I feel like half the day's gone. I feel like unmotivated. There's no trajectory. I'm not doing things that are difficult. Sleeping in is easy. And self-introspection is what's needed to be at my best. It really is. And there's a quote from Marcus Aurelius that I want to read. He says, at dawn, when you have trouble getting out of bed, tell yourself, I have to go to work as a human being. What do I have to complain of if I'm going to do what I was born for? The things I was brought into the world to do? Or is this what I was created for? To huddle under the blankets and stay warm. Everyone complains about getting up in the morning. This is why I like to do it. It's because it's, it's challenging. You're bypassing the comfort voice. And it's admirable. I view it as being tough. I view it as a, a leg up on, on the day. You get the difficult stuff done and you feel like you have this other day ahead of you after that because you're waking up so early. You're waking up before six or before five. How much stuff you can get done. You get the sacred stuff out of the way and, you, and it helps if you have a family getting up even before they do getting the exercise in before they even wake up, getting the meditation, getting the cold plunge in, getting the walks early early in the morning, just thinking. Because we need to sit with our minds. We need to explore our minds. Our minds are holding on to things. And it's not until we are left in a quiet space until we actually realize what we're actually holding on to. The problems, concerns, worries, doubts, shames, the guilt, they're all in there. And that leads me into journaling, which is number four. This is a life-changing habit because it's self-exploration. It's self-examination. Writing is thinking, like Jordan Peterson says. And I recommend that you do it in the morning. For a long time, many months now, I was journaling in the evenings. I decided to shift it into the evenings, but then a problem came about. Because when, because journaling is a difficult thing to do, it's easy to just, you know, watch TV and then go brush your teeth and go to bed and, and you're tired and you had a long day. And so I thought, you know what, journaling might be better in the evening because I will have more time to get, I feel like maybe I'm rushing a little bit in the morning. And so journaling at night might help me because I might have more time. But then it turned out that because I have a long day, I'll, I'll be, I journal less or sometimes I'll even skip the journal. And so now I shifted it back into the morning and it helped me tremendously because it's another difficult thing. And it sets the trajectory of the day because I actually structure my journal in a certain way. And this is how I help my clients do that because a lot of people don't want to journal because there's no structure. But if you just give yourself a template of what to journal about, then you're going to do it. Because it's, you don't have to think so critically. And so first thing in the morning, I'll write down 
uh, three things I'm grateful for, three things I'm excited about. I'll have a section where I just write random things, problems, concerns that I have in my head right onto the paper, and it helps me sort through that. Because when you write out problems, the mind shrinks them down. Because the mind up here, the, especially the right hemisphere, which produces imagistic representations of what's lurking in the unknown, you take those images and you kind of simplify them on paper. It's a mini confrontation of what looms over you. And the crazy thing about this, as you're writing, the mind is treading over solutions at the same time. And that's that's huge because the left hemisphere, that's your linguistic linguistic problem-solving side of the brain that helps you traverse the unknown, that starts to activate and you start to think as you're writing the problems, huh, but maybe there's another way to look at this because it's not just the problem. It's everything associated to the problem as well. So it's not, you can write down the problem, but you might think, well, that's actually linked to something else. Or you know what, I, I could actually handle this if I actually implement this. If I, if, I, if I talk to this person or maybe, you know, planning, if you have to talk to your boss about something, writing down what you would like to say or your emotions about the boss or emotions about the new job or whatever's happening in your life, writing those things down will help you sort out all the cluster because the mind will just keep this circulating array of random noise of concern. And it'll produce images, it'll produce thoughts like, oh God, oh no, what if this happens? And that is all jumbled up. And by writing it down, you just, you it's like, it's an orderly exercise. You're adding order to the jumble of chaos. Really, that's it. And so by writing, you activate this problem-solving side of the brain, the left hemisphere. It's, uh, it's so interesting because as you stumble through the uncertainties, you bring solutions onto that because of the fact that you're deciding to write about it in the first place. Because the brain loves, loves to solve the problems. The reason why you're obsessing over it is because it wants to solve the problem. But when you, you know, by allowing yourself to journal and sit with your thoughts, you're giving your brain an opportunity to, 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 to traverse the landscape of that unknown. And so you bring problems to light, you acknowledge them, so you're facing truth which is another thing because a lot of people want to treat the thoughts like Voldemort. Don't say his name. Keep the thing in the darkness. I don't even want to go there. But you bring it to light. You acknowledge them. You shine truth onto them. And you can really get underneath the iceberg of the problem. And you get, you get under that iceberg by allowing yourself to write. Just allowing yourself to write. So three things you're excited about today three things you're grateful for, writing down problems, and perhaps the goal of the day. What's the goal? What's the bigger picture of the day? Huge. The third habit that changed my life is the gym. 
why? Why is exercise so important? I hate going to the gym. I hate the idea of having to run. And so for me, what better reason to do it? Because I hate it so much. But it's necessary for me. It is. Exercise is necessary for me because I notice that if I go an amount of days without exercise, I get tense, I get irritable, my body starts to feel weak, and there'd be that looming voice in my head like, do something difficult, what are you doing? Do something difficult. And so gym is necessary for me, and why? And I think because it is the tolerance of discomfort, that's what it is. The communication to oneself as you step beyond your limitations, how you talk to yourself, especially when you're working out, you're doing something difficult, you're going into the cold shower, you're waking up early in the morning. How are you talking to yourself? And the mind tells you to stop. I'm not sure about this. Why not just stay under the covers? Why not just stop running? But you decide not to listen to that voice. So if you can push through something that is really difficult, wouldn't you be more competent to deal with other of life's difficulties that randomly show up in the day? Wouldn't you be more attentive, awake, calm, confident to handle those difficulties, when you push past that wall of tolerance, you enter into this acceptance that you can get through this. It sucks, but I'm going to continue to do it even though it sucks. So the mind goes, okay, Brad's not stopping. Might as well accept the fact that we're suffering right now. And on the other side of that is wisdom, is peace. You discover potential. That's what happens when you push past this wall. Potential lies on the other side of this. Asserting dominance over the mind of least resistance. And then that one hour or so of work that you do, that you put into the gym or the exercise, has a 24-hour positive effect. So you put in that one hour of grueling work, what happens? 24 hours go by of feeling strong, you're feeling mentally calm, you're feeling present, you're feeling confident, and you're sleeping better, clear-minded, it's the manifestation of potential. That's what you manifested. You, you pushed past your boundaries, and now on the other side of that are positive effects to the mind and body. It's the manifestation of potential. Seneca says, you treat the body rigorously so it may not be disobedient to the mind. You get used to the feeling of, I want to quit. I don't want to be here. 
and have a stronger reflexive tendency to say, screw you, I'm not listening to you. Number two, the second life-changing habit is reading. Reading helped stretch out my attention span. I used to admire readers, but I struggled with reading myself. I would jump from one thing to another. I always played video games. I was always, you know, watching Netflix. I was always bouncing from one thing to another, from one desire to another. But when I decided to sit down and read, I realized that, man, I can't even get through two pages without my mind wandering off the page. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do introduce reading was to calm down my system, to, to introduce something that was difficult, something I couldn't do, I couldn't focus on, and train myself to sit and do something, one thing. Sit and do one thing. Reading improves focus, it improves memory, it improves communication skills, and reading enough great thinkers helps you to then formulate a certain way of thinking because their thoughts start to play themselves out in your own mind. Self-help books take years of difficulty to write and they contain the great lessons of the person's life within them. They're very complicated. And so you explore that person's mind when you read their book. And you incorporate the lessons that speak to you most from that book. And some sections of a book will speak to you more than others, depending on where you are currently situated in your life. And so it's like a great piece of art. Because maybe you're going through a divorce, and then you go to a gallery, and you there's this painting that clicks with you. And you don't know why, but it, it's resonating with you or a certain movie that resonates with you because you're going through a difficult time. Just take something like Harry Potter. When Harry Potter, especially the fifth book, when every terrible thing starts to happen to Harry, you know, his relationship with Cho Chang is on the rocks and it's going terribly wrong. Um, that's the least of his problems in that book, man. His uncle dies, the school turns into a, a great tyranny. He starts to get tortured by his teacher for being morally virtuous. I mean, it just continues and continues. Dumbledore leaves. I mean, I, I think there were about, about 10 things I wrote down that happened that were utterly tragic. But think of yourself going through something tragic in your life and you watch a movie like that and you you connect to the character because they're struggling and they're persisting through the struggle. They're getting stronger as a consequence. They're working behind the scenes to strengthen their moral, virtuous identity. And that clicks with you because maybe you can do the same. You're watching somebody manifest potential on screen or in that painting, a great piece of art or in that book. Then you say, well, maybe I can, I can manifest that within me because if they can get through that difficulty maybe I can and so maybe you're reading a book and you're you're thinking well you know I'm, I'm struggling with this thing at work and then you read this book and there's something that clicks and it relates to the situation that you're currently contending with and it actually shifts your perspective and actually drives you 
into a new frame of, of seeing, of seeing the problem that you're contending with. And then if you explore books outside of your comfort zone, you start to generate a more wide world view as a consequence. You develop a broader perspective. And so that's why I recommend reading. It changed my life and I continue to do so. And I try and read as many books as I can. And recently I've just been upping that and I really want to get into more reading. So this is something I'm really passionate about, but something I value so deeply, so deeply. And then the first, the first habit that really changed my life is an avoidance habit of sugar, grains, and sticking to a very low-carb way of eating, the ketogenic diet. I talk about keto not as often as I should on this channel, but I'll leave a link to some resources by the end of this episode, so stick around because they will change your life as they did mine. I grew up in Canada. I grew up in the Western culture of the world where the food pyramid was has always been a lie. I grew up with the beliefs of you know saturated fat as being unhealthy, meat, eggs, high, high, leads to high cholesterol, leads to poor health. And so the food pyramid was mostly of like vegetables, grains, a little bit of meat here and there. And my parents had that belief system most of their life. And, you know, understandably so, because culture, that was the narrative of culture. So it's not, I don't blame them or anything. I mean, that was just how it was. And certainly it's easy to fall into that narrative. But I, over time, especially with the help, and you know, these resources weren't available at the time too, like these great books, like The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teicholz, or like Lies My Doctor Told Me by Ken Berry, or these great YouTube channels that provide you with resources and studies on why, what diet is best suited for, for us. And so, I grew up eating cereals and, you know, low fat skim milk, you know, I grew up, you know, eating a lot of junk, pizza, pasta, sandwiches, juice boxes, candy. And I decided later on years back about six years ago to shift my diet because I was eating a lot of pizza and carbs and I was just feeling awful. I knew it was linked to the carbs because I recognized how I was feeling right after and then I decided to explore the internet. What was working for people? I didn't have a bias towards meat. I just wanted, quite the contrary. Oh my God, it, it was a huge learning curve to get over the fact that meat should be the center point of a proper human diet. It took me a long time to really get comfortable with that because I had the internal bias of meat being unhealthy and, you know, eggs and all of that leading to high cholesterol. And so I started to read books about this and it changed my perspective. I saw an interview with Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan, where he talked about how eating meat completely reversed all of his autoimmune problems, how it improved his focus and sleep and overall health, how he lost weight and this blew my mind. It was a paradigm shift. All paradigm shift is when all of your internal presuppositions are met by an opposing presupposition that really takes on a life of its own. And it re 
re and there's truth in it. That's why it took over. It's because there was truth in it. I knew deep down. That's why it was such a paradigm shift is because I knew that this was the path I needed to walk down, even though it was going to be very difficult for me. And so I started to implement a, a low-carb diet, and I started to you know, lessen carbs, get rid of sugar, get rid of grains, get rid of vegetable oils, so eliminating these things. And I noticed immediately within the first two weeks that my mind was becoming clearer. The fog was lifting. I was becoming emotionally stable. I was becoming, I was full, satiated for longer periods of the day. Maggie always brings this up, how, how I used to be with food. So all the time when we would meet, I would have uh, nuts and, and granola bars in my pockets of my jacket because I would always be hungry. I'd always be snacking all the time, never feeling satiated, always feeling emotionally unregulated and so when I shifted into a, a ketogenic diet she noticed I was eating less my emotions were more regulated I was sleeping better auto all of my autoimmune problems went away by the way and that completely shifted my overall outlook on the diet and in my life and then she did the same thing she saw the difference she herself decided to go on this diet and it changed her life as well. She couldn't believe like the pain in her knee that has always been there since she was a kid went away. All of his, all of her autoimmune problems went away. She lost weight. She felt energized and happier than she's ever been. And so this is the number one on my list because of the fact that it completely, it was the icing on the cake. Because the meditations were helping, the exercise was helping, the reading was helping, all of this was helping me. The breathing exercising, the exercises, the cold showers, they all helped. But what really changed everything was diet. Really, it, it has this unbelievable impact on our health and our minds, more so than we realize. And I didn't realize this until I actually changed my diet. So it has great physical effects on you and emotional effects. And then fasting really helped me too because, because I started to feel more full because of the meat and eggs and the bacon and the fish. I was eating less, less often and then I would fast. And then I learned about autophagy where you're reusing old and damaged cell parts. And I, I was feeling great but then learning about the fact that my body is healing itself the less I eat is even greater because I actually feel healthier. I look healthier. I, I perform better at the gym. I perform better when I'm just doing day-to-day -day activities around the house or when I'm being productive. I perform better. I mean, I improved my podcast twofold because of this diet. I was able to think and write more clearly and effectively. And this is a life-changing life changing diet. I recommend that you listen to episode 270 of the podcast. I talk about foods to avoid. I talk about more in-depth about grains, sugars, vegetable oils. And then on episode 178, I talk with Michelle Hearn, who wrote this 
great book called The Dietitian's Dilemma. I highly recommend this book. She suffered from so many autoimmune problems. She suffered from anorexia. I remember a part in her book when she was just walking down the street and I think she broke her ankle just by stepping up on a curb, something like that. And, you know, all of her health improved when she went on a low carb ketogenic way of eating. And she even goes into the details why this happens. One part of the book that stands out to me was when she was talking about absorbing absorbing the minerals from meat we can we absorb 20% of the minerals in meat compared to something like kale or spinach we only absorb about 2% of its nutrients it's not as bioavailable as meat is and that's that was eye opening but just think how much information that w- that someone like her over the years of studying diet is packed into this book and why vegan veganism is not as worthwhile as a pursuit as you may think and i believe 100% that to be the case because we don't abs- the nutrients found in foods like eggs and meat are way different and we absorb them way differently than we do from say fruit smoothies which i highly detest by the way i don't believe in them whatsoever but i recommend books like the big fat surprise dietitian's dilemma lies my doctor told me start from there i experiment but this is the proper way of eating no doubt in my mind and that's where i'm going to leave you today and so the the big three habits that define me especially and i couldn't live without is keto is reading and the gym those three are my three biggest habits of all time rise above anxiety everyone thank you for being here with me today please if you haven't already rate the show on spotify share this with someone you know who would greatly benefit from it and i'll see you on the next podcast Bye for now. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com.